You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hello and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith. Today on The Comedian's Comedian, I am talking to Paul Smith, a man who... Do you remember the episode with Sindhu V a couple of weeks ago now, uh, where we were talking about her astonishingly stratospheric rise from uh, not quite open spot, but, you know, in, in the space of about five years, I would guess, she's gone from just starting to massive UK TV appearances. Um and Paul Smith has managed to sort of do that cubed. Um, he started, I'll, I'll let him tell his own story, but effectively, if you don't recognise his name, it's a very ordinary name that he has, but uh, you might know him as, you know, that ginger scouse guy who's on all the internets. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, he is just Everywhere we talk, I mean, he drops the absolutely astonishing revelation, which I have no reason to disbelieve, that he is very likely the comedian who has most material on YouTube. Just think about that for a minute. He's there's he, there's over a hundred hours of clips of his crowd work from the Hot Water Comedy Club in Liverpool, which deserves its own episode, really, in terms of a stratospheric rise. Um, and Paul has got. Clip after clip after clip up there, some of them with downloads in the hundreds of thousands, which have enabled him to tour to huge rooms. And this is someone who never normally leaves Liverpool. This the whole thing, as you will hear, was kind of predicated on him not wanting me to not wanting to be too far from home and um, wanting to just compare his local club and enjoy himself. And one of the things I love about him is that it's hard to imagine precisely this happening to someone else, because Paul is one of the warmest, most gently charming, and key, absolutely key to this, ambition-free comics I've ever spoken to. That isn't to say he doesn't work hard, he clearly does, but... He has none of that desperate, grinding, yearning need for success that we have come to associate with the stand-up comedy performer. So, how did he do it? And is there a, is there a relationship between those, those things? Uh, I love the, you know me, I, I love the whiff of an archetype. And the idea that this very funny, very charming man may have managed to free himself of desire completely and in return be rewarded with everything all of us dream of is just 
Oh, it's so perfect, isn't it? So let's find out if that's the case. Remember, as always, there are about 30 minutes worth of extras available exclusively to members of the Insiders Club at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, where Paul reflects on the comics aiming to follow in his footsteps and uh, whether they have the same combination of factors that have made uh, his explosive success a possibility. Uh, He'll talk about his very early TV work in a stand-up competition and how he manages to retain his resistance to pressure as the stakes get higher and higher and higher. So I'm I'm so excited about this one. Thank you to Hot Water Comedy Club in Liverpool for giving us a bit of space to sit down uh, and record with Paul and for that glorious weekend uh, that you'll have heard us talk about uh, in the Marcus Birdman episode. This is Paul Smith. I enjoyed the tour show. Did you? Yeah, I did. Okay. I did. Did you? Um... I liked the show. That particular performance that you saw, I enjoyed. How do I put this? I enjoyed as an experience, uh, but I wasn't quite in the moment. I've done it. I've done it the week before in Yarm, <laughs> which is just outside Middlesbrough in a school, and I think I was. It was in front of 800 people and I'd gotten so used to that kind of size of room by that point that I was really flowing in that space. And then I got to that room, the the big room. How big was it? Was it 11,000? No, there was about eight, it holds nine and a half set up for comedy and it was about just, there was eight and something, I don't know. Um, But yeah, it went well, the the material went well, uh, but I was, have you ever... The, the, I swore too much because I was nervous. Yeah. The crowd work was very simplistic because I wasn't going into people. I, I was very aware of like, okay, just keep it simple and don't like, because if you get sucked into them too much, you don't know the room well enough. You don't know, you don't know how big, you don't know how this is going to, if these pull away from you, you're not going to be able to get them back. And it was, it was, there was so many things going on in my head. And the, sh- the show kind of just went poof, on autopilot and I felt like I was half as... I felt like I was listening to it myself. Yeah, yeah, I so know I, feeling. I felt like I didn't know what was coming... I, I almost didn't know what was coming next. And there's a point in the show, I don't know if you know... It, when it goes online, it has been cut out because it actually physically makes you feel sick. Think about it. <laughs> there's a point in the show where I talk about my son, George, being autistic. And to set that bit up, because there's material about it, I say... There's a thing, something you need to know for the show to move on is that my elder son, his name's George, he's five, he's non-verbal autistic. And every time I'd done it before, it just kind of got nothing. It was silence. Yeah. Um, or it was like, oh, maybe. And it was fine. Because sure. it just wasn't a stopping point in the show. It, was yeah. just, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't even the end of the sentence. It was just to move on. Um, but then in this show because a lot of these people had seen all the videos about George it got a massive cheer. I wondered what were the videos was that before the uh, oh because of, they were fans and they'd seen yeah, you talk about a couple of videos from my last DVD about George gotcha um, and there was people there from his school and I'd given tickets to another school called Millstead and so he was a hero was a, so that was yeah, why everyone there was reacted a lot of like oh boy there, yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So it got a massive response and it just I think the emotion of the situation was already within me and I just, I almost broke to tears and I had to hold myself back. And so, but my brain just stopped and I've never experienced that on stage before. And it, literally, I've watched it back, I think it's about four seconds. But yeah. in my head, I was like, I'm not going to start talking again yet. And I felt the room go, I just pull back a little bit. But when you feel, 
when you feel that many people pull back, you can definitely there's a there's a connection between you and an audience, and you can feel tension, and you can feel you can you can feel their energy in the room. And when you feel that many people pull back, it's such a tide. I was like, whoa! And then it just clicked back in, and it just the show just carried on like a song just coming back on. It just the show carried on, and it was fine. But I came off stage, and I, I, felt, I could I could still feel I was shaking from that moment. I was just drained, and when I watched it back, I was like, that, that was I, yeah. I, it just every time I see it, it just it that drains over me. So, but it's such a tiny moment. Yeah, but it was the it was the you fell out of the flow of the show. Yeah, I kind of yeah. It was a uh, I wasn't I wasn't in control. I wasn't driving. If that makes sense, <laughs> I was kind of a passenger, and my brain was just kind of doing it for me. Do you normally feel in control? Yeah, yeah. Because given that, and for I mean, I often say on the podcast for people that don't know you, I mean, quite a lot of people know you now, but you know, <laughs> like your the thing you are most known for is the kind of free fall of crowd work, like yeah. very genuine, non planned, not almost like non formatted crowd work. Yeah, and it's like a free fall. But so talk to me about the relationship between jumping in and feeling like you're in the driving seat. Because those two things might seem a bit contradictory. No, usually, especially in hot water and places that I'm comfortable, I'm so, I'm so in the moment, but I feel I could stop at any point and I, I, I never feel like I can't get this back. I never feel, I'm always, I'm always very confident that I can, no matter what happens, enough bad things have happened in the rooms that I play. I'm, and I, I, I play a very finite amount of rooms. <laughs> that, um, I, I'm so confident that I was in those spaces that I, I, I understand the feeling of the room enough to kind of be able to mould it and, and wherever it goes, I can get it back. There's been fights in those rooms and I've been able to just kind of ride that wave and still be getting laughs after it. So I'm, I feel kind of confident in those rooms. And that did worry me when I was going into the, the theatre shows last year. And people were saying it to me, like, how are you going to translate that? And I was like, in, in me, on the surface, I was like, oh, I'll be able to do it. It's fine. I've written shows before. I have got material. Like, people don't really, sometimes people don't realise that about me, but I do write jokes. I was like, I'll be fine. But in me, I was thinking to myself, I was like, oh, God, I, I have become a little bit used to playing safe spaces and going into those bigger rooms especially it wasn't even like I was going to other comedy clubs which are similar spaces it was going into much bigger spaces I was kind of like oh god but then I did the first one and it, it was a 1300 seater and it was I did the first bit of crowd work and it was just fine I think because because I'd gotten used to doing the videos and I had to become aware of um, repeating I mean most people do it anyway and I did it naturally anyway repeating what they say back before yeah. you kind of respond is a it's a good tool because it gives you a little extra second and also it just allows everyone in the room to be on the same page and i do it naturally anyway but I, I became really aware of doing it for the videos and in those big rooms that's all you really need to do is just make sure everyone's on the same page so once i got into that 1300 seater i still felt in the driving seat and it just didn't happen all the way through the tour even the rowdier ones, like Newcastle, was massively rowdy. What size was that? That was 2000 in City Hall, or 18, 18 I think it's 18, 1900 in, in City Hall. And it was it was chaos, but I never felt like... Like, I came off 
I ended up doing, I ended up doing about two hours in Newcastle because I just couldn't get through the show because it was just chaos. People just, it was just madness. Things were just happening. Like, and I was, things happening, you mean people joining in? Yes, people joining in um, and just things in the room, like a woman f- fell asleep and then people were, okay. and then it was like someone's fell asleep, so people were getting up and getting selfies and stuff like that. I, I said, there's a point in the show where I say, um, it was one of the greatest things I've ever seen in my life. At the point in the show where I said, I, I'm going to let you in a little secret, I quite like smoking weed. And as I said that, just a joint just flew out of the crowd <laughs> and just landed at my feet. A fully rolled joint, which is not easy to throw. But even with those kind of distractions, I never felt, I never felt out of control. Whereas with this one, I, it was me doing it, obviously, but it's just, it's, it's hard to explain to anyone who hasn't done stand-up, I think, or who hasn't done anything similar, but it just felt like, it was almost like an out-of-body experience. Like I wasn't, I was half a second behind the words that were coming out of your mouth and they were coming out but I wasn't doing it and was that was that purely because of that <coughs> reaction to George or was it before that was it the, no, it was the, before the size it. of the occasion it was the I think it was the size of the occasion it was the it, I don't want to say pressure because I did enjoy it and but yeah I think it was I I think I rushed it a little bit I think I, I was just the whole thing had been leading up to that and I, if I'm totally honest, I didn't want to do it when it beca- when it came up because I thought it's too big, it's too much, it's too it's too big for me to do what I do in there. Yeah, and it turns out it wasn't, but I just built it up so much in me that once I got on the stage, I knew it was going. When I, when I was building up to it, I kind of wanted to get out there. I got on the stage and I said the first thing to the first person and I got a big laugh and I felt that big laugh and I thought, okay, I'm all right here. But then I just wanted to get to the end so I knew I hadn't fucked it up. If that makes sense, I was like, just once you get to the end, you know you haven't fucked this up. And once I got to the end, I knew I hadn't fucked it up. And if if you watch the end of the show and I did that light thing, I think that's the only real bit that I was in control of and I felt like I was just kind of... I allowed myself to just kind of soak that little bit in then and just kind of take, I was like, okay, you've got to the end of the show. It's gone well. All the material worked. The callbacks got a round of applause. It was fine. Everything's worked. Now you can just kind of soak this in a little bit. But I, I come off and I was like, it didn't fully, you might never get that chance again. You didn't fully appreciate what it was. Um, so I just hope it sells again this year. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll get that chance again. Yeah, I hope so. Let's let's just take a second to um, uh, kind of zoom out a bit for people. I was going to say for people, I guess in in other countries who might not be aware. Yeah. But but then even saying that, I don't know how much your material translates. How no. much the videos are seen around the world? Could you just for people that you, you've had one of the most stratospheric one of the fastest one of the most exponential rises to from going to not just a club comic but kind of a, a solo a single club comic you yeah. know you're hyper specialized for these there's the couple of rooms in in liverpool yeah to playing like arenas i mean an, an arena yeah an arena theaters yeah sure theaters yeah. like two thousand seaters yeah and then the, the apollo sure that's good yeah right. Yeah yeah, that's good. <laughs> like in the space of two years, do you know. So well, how long is it? Well, just going from that to that was six months. <sighs> Which going from putting the fit because literally 
uh, we put that tour on sale, and the, as I used to, I, I did a tour. I did well, I say a tour. I, I used to get laughed at because Paul, the, Paul who runs Hot Water, is is he's good at marketing, but he he's, he, he, he used to put every year like Paul Smith's tour show, and it was only a year, so it wasn't technically it was yeah. just one show. <laughs> was, but I'd, I'd make sure I did a solo show every year here, just because it made me write stuff, and it was just made me do. But I'd known, but I didn't really want to go to Edinburgh and stuff like that. It was just. So I just used to do it here, and that was the plan for that show. So I was writing it, um, and we put it on here. And the year before, I'd struggled to sell this room out. So that's 175 seaters in Seal Street, a hot water. Um, the year before. The year before. So I really had to really had to push for that. And then the video started going on, and, and ticket to uh, ticket sales started going up and stuff like that. And we were like, okay, we think we'd be able to. We put two shows in here and they sold out, and we were like, okay, we think we'd be able to do a little bit of a bigger room. So we went to see the auditorium at the Echo for a hot water show because he'd put a couple of hot water tour shows on and they'd got like we I think we put the first one we put on was Whitley Bay just outside I don't know why, but it was Whitley Bay just outside of Newcastle. Lovely little town. Um and it sold in like I think it was like ninety minutes, six hundred tickets. It went and we were like, Okay, that's weird. Um they must really like cool. Yeah, yeah, really yeah. Like the northeast for some reason. I'm more. I think I'm more popular than the northeast than Liverpool. Weirdly, okay. it's mad. Um, but that was the first moment that you went. Hang on a minute. Well, I I went with Paul to see this auditorium room in the Echo, which is like thirteen hundred seats on the back of the arena. It's like a conference room. So he goes, "Come down and look at this room with me." Um, Mike put a hot water show in, and I was like, "Okay." Uh, goes down, and I was like, "This is such a nice room. It's such a lovely room. The front row's really close." And it's just it kind of goes up like, and it has two big drums at the back that turn around, so you could be eight hundred seats or thirteen hundred, or a mixture of the two. Um, so I was like, I wouldn't mind because we filmed the last one for the DVD, and that's the videos for that. I don't, I kind of sparked off what had happened for me anyway. Um, so I was like, I wouldn't mind recording this year's DVD in here, and he was like, we we'll probably do that. And then they quoted us for the room and it was a big outlay and we were like, ah, it's a bit of a gamble. And we were like, let's just go for it. Did it. And it just flew out. And we were like, ah, let's, the offer does a couple more dates. So we put a couple more dates on. And then that's In the small room. In the small room. Do, do two or three times. Yeah, well, we ended up doing it seven times um, throughout the June, the June, July and August. So we, were look, so we started looking at other places. Like, and that's what I remember. He, he, Paul rang me and he said, we could get the Apollo. And I was like, ah, I think that's a bit much in it. And he was like, I don't know, you know, because the statistics are saying, because he's really into his analytics and stuff. He's into statistically, the hits we get on the website and stuff and the, the people, the analytics on the page, we could do it. And I was like, ah, we did. It was, it was good. Like, it, it was just... So if we did that, and then so we just started looking at where the people on the page were and putting shows there, and they just started selling out and selling out, and it was just crazy. And I, I just I couldn't quite believe it was happening. Um, so yeah, it, it's it was, but that the space of that happening to the tour selling was from the October one year to about to, then the tour started in the June. So from having literally think, think, thinking I was going to do a show here to having like a national tour was like six months six, six seven months it was crazy how is that? I've got no idea still <laughs> no I mean how is it? how does it, how does it oh, feel? are you is your um, head spinning? was it then? no I don't know it's hard to explain it's it's kind of one of those things that you it's it's a, it's surreal 
But like, you get used to things pretty quickly. And then I try, I think I've had so many kickings in my life. Like I've, I've had, so, the way I started in comedy, I had so many, I, I, when I first started, I thought I was going to be famous and then I, like, that got kicked out of me and I was like, and then I got, and I realized I wouldn't really be happy with that. And like, I didn't really want TV or stuff like that. That wasn't going to be something that was going to be happy. And traveling around kind of really made me depressed. Uh, I really fell out of love with comedy and then I found this place and then I found, I remember looking at Toby Haydock years and years ago, who was a big hero of mine and still is, I absolutely love Toby, and looking at what he had at Excess Malarkey and thinking, that's just ideal. He's, he's a hero in that club. He's like, obviously Toby travels around loads and he's very good. And he, he's, he's, an, he's, he's got amazing tour shows and stuff like that. Um, but what, what Toby had at Excess was kind of my ideal. He had his own little space. He had his own, he was so free in that room. He used to do that and I used to go there and watch it and I was like, ah, oh, that's perfect. I want that. He's so, because there's no pressure there. And I think I work better without that because I, when I used to travel around, the, the, the pressure of it would get too much because unless you're a comedian, you, you won't really understand that. The, I mean, a lot of people who listen to this understand the industry quite well, but going that, the way it works is that it's a strange job in that you go, you go to clubs and you do an open spot and you go and do another open spot and then look, if you're lucky or you do well, you get work. Um, but you're really never safe in that job because you're always kind of, You've got for you to get for you to get work. You've got to push someone who's someone who has that work out of that job, and no other job does that. You would never turn up at an office job and be like turn up for the interview, and then they say congratulations, you got a job, and someone else gets up out of their desk and walks out, and you go and sit in the desk. It just yeah, wouldn't happen. Yeah, yeah. So like that pressure, kind of, I never really enjoyed that, and I never enjoyed the the kind of the the solitude of travel and stuff. Um, so I just got happy. I started doing these rooms and as it's built, I was just happy and felt felt safer yeah, and felt secure. So that allowed me to be, I think that allowed my comparing to be a lot freer because I wasn't re, I wasn't scared of taking risks or I wasn't scared of doing badly, which is, I think is the main thing. Did you ever do badly? Yeah. Yeah. Very rarely. Um, I haven't really, I haven't done badly here for a long time. Um, because you've created an environment where you're completely free to fail. Yeah. And so you never do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Um I think that's I, th- I think that's the only times I ever re- ever really did badly was when I kind of talked myself out of it. Because I'm not I, I'm not under any illusions I'm the most technically gifted comedian in the world. I haven't got the most kind of art artistic uh well-written stuff. Um but what I have is an affable likeable stage presence which kind of makes it difficult to do badly unless you invoke pity in the audience is um, that why pity that's an unusual thing so. um that's the only time i've ever really done bad is if if i feel like it's doing badly and that was what i, I think that's what i was scared of in that arena show because it wasn't that i'd said something that had offended the audience because i can deal with that it was that I'd set, I'd shown some vulnerable emotion that if I break now, I can't get this back. They're going to feel so sorry for me. And it's such a big moment that you, you can, pity, pity is death for comedy. I think it's so much, it's undealable. You can't, some, if that audience feels sorry for you, you, 
you don't they'll want you to succeed and they'll clap for you and they'll cheer but it's all pity you can never get you, they'll never respect you again they'll never you'll never make them laugh you'll never make them comfortable again um, there's no getting that comfort back whereas if they're a little bit offended you can win that back you can you can even hate to a point like you can you can kind of I've been at gigs where the crowds has been very very confrontational and you can be confrontational back and kind of win their respect and win them over and end up having an okay gig um, but pity I think pity you is can't the, ever row back pity you, you can't, can't ever go guys I'm can't. fine honestly yeah because <laughs> yeah. yeah. the yeah. more you dig the worse it gets it's, it's the death note of comedy what else do you have what's in your eyes you say affable I mean that's that's yeah. the tip of the iceberg really isn't it I mean you know what I mean like you're you have a, a kind of an extraordinarily uh, friendly affable what is the word like you're a man of the people or something what is what is that qual- <laughs> what is that quality to you because you're you know there, there's and for, for people we haven't really entirely covered all of the the sort of the the relevant groundwork here which is that you are one of the happiest let, let me I haven't asked you about happiness yet we might do <laughs> you're one of the most likable people in comedy like I put on the Facebook group for this for this podcast I said what should we what should we ask uh, Paul almost everyone said ask him what his name is or where he's from <laughs> almost everybody um, but a lot of people say how does he how come he's so likable the amount of newer acts on there who were like god I used to be shit and Paul says such supportive things to me such great things to me you know you you know there's a lot like you have an incredibly warm presence right that's nice to hear (laughs) do you agree Um, with it yeah I I, I know it's hard to agree with it is is, you know you do get that people yeah without without sounding like I have a complete lack of humility yeah um no I I, I mean objectively I can I, I obviously I must do yeah I, and people seem to take to me and I, I I think that's it's really benefited me as a compere in that people almost instantly warm to me I'm very non-threatening even why I don't know I can't I don't know why uh, I try not to question that because I think it's one of those things. If you analyse it too much and you break it down too much, then and and understand it, then it's you might I might break it, yeah. um, and then that's going to be a problem, isn't it? Um, there's no way to get that back. <laughs> I, I, but I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what it is about me. I, I just think it's. I think I have a genuine interest in people. Like, when I'm asking people questions on stage, I'm not just trying to get it to a piece of material or I'm not just trying to get them to say something that I want so I can say something funny. I am genuinely trying to have a conversation with them. And if they say something funny, I will genuinely roll with that. I'm not trying to be... I'm not I'm not playing one-upmanship or anything. Well, that's a lie. I kind of am to a little bit, but... Um, depends on the person. But that's the game, isn't it? Rather that than is the game, yeah. something important. You're not trying yeah. to win no. any more than the gig requires yeah. you to be. No, the it just needs... The, the, the point of me in that room is to kind of facilitate everybody to feel like they're having a laugh and everyone everyone to feel involved. It's a party. It's a, it's a, everyone to be having a good time. Um, I just think that that's... Again, what's allowed that is that I've had so long in a place that I feel comfortable. And I think a lot of people have asked me, and and every comedian must get asked the same question, how do you do that? How do you get up there? Um, How do you, especially how do you talk to the audience and stuff like that? 
I think a, a big, well, maybe not a secret, but a, a big aspect of it is most, I'm not the funniest person in my friends group. I'm not, like, I'm not the fun. I wouldn't be, if you came out on a night out with me, I wouldn't be the loudest person there. I wouldn't control the conversation. Um, some people get disappointed about that, but like, it's just not the way I am. Uh, but I'm comfortable enough to have banter and stuff like that. Well, I'll have a conversation. I think I'm just more comfortable than most people are on stage. Um, and I think if you can get that comfortable, you'll just feel like you can, nothing throws you. So you'd never, everyone, there's a connection. I, I, I can't, I, I, don't, I might, this might sound like woo woo, but like there's, I feel like there's a connection between everyone in the room. There's an atmospheric connection, which they can feel tension, they can feel happiness, they can feel... So if you go out there and feel completely comfortable and feel completely happy, they'll know that you feel that way and they'll feel that way, hopefully, unless there's something horrible happening. <laughs> but uh, I, I feel like that's that's the only real thing that I do. I just go out there and just feel comfortable and just have a conversation. There's no real secret to it, I don't think. Do you have any... Uh kind of tricks to make yourself feel that comfortable when you're not feeling that comfortable? No. Uh, and again, I, people ask me that quite a bit, like, what if you've had a bad day? I, but once I get on the stage, there's a disjoint between who I am off the stage and who I am on the stage as well, I think. There's a kind of a... There's a... There's a separation there. There's, it's it's grown together over time. People say you find your voice on stage, and I... This, I, I well, I don't necessarily agree with that i feel like you stick when you first start your stage persona is very exaggerated and your offstage persona is something completely different and the two it's not so much finding your voices that the two kind of the more you do it the two merge together and you you kind of meet somewhere in the middle but the stage persona is always going to be amplified a little bit and i think he is just there's so much happening on stage especially if you're just trying to be in the moment if you're not just thinking of material there's so much happening that you're so focused on that. There's so much information to take in. You're in a flow state. There's no, there's no emotion there. There's no sickness there. There's no, so there's no trick that you need. I understand that. So if I feel bad off the stage, I know I won't on the stage. And and what about if mid gig, like you said, when shit things happen, if something goes wrong, if someone yeah. not not in a funny way, but if someone like there's a fight or something, yeah. and and it and it and it turns, how do you get it back? Well, that's the only time <laughs> um, And to be honest, I was look. I think I don't know because I think if I was doing one thing that terrifies me, sorry, is that if I was, I think if I was doing crowd work when that would have happened, it'd have been bad. Like I don't think, I don't think I'd have been able to get out of that as well as I did because I was in the middle of a bit of material that I knew, and my brain just saved the day and came back in and started saying the words that I knew and those words were technically funny because I'd, I'd engineered them to be funny um, yeah I, I don't know because I never get that uncomfortable in the rooms I'm in um, even yeah I, I don't know I'd probably just ramble and, and drive the gig into the ground <laughs> 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 which is what I used to do um, is it? yeah yeah, I, if I'm, it rarely happens, but when I do die, I tend to ramble and ramble and ramble until there's complete silence in the room. <laughs> Just drive the gig into the ground. Not purposely, like some people, some people will 
Oh, uh, sure. Sleep. I'm taking you all with me. No, yeah, he's yeah, died. Yeah. Okay. And I've never, I'm not, I'm not that way. But like, yeah, I would, yeah, I tend to ramble. So this is Paul. As you can hear, this is definitely one of those episodes where you can hear in my voice just how much I'm enjoying talking to him. And he, it's so exciting for Paul, not just as a person, but kind of as, as a sort of a hypothetical prospect that like he could go anywhere. He could do anything. He's now successful enough that all of that stuff on YouTube and the enormous number of views, um, he now has a fan base entirely by stealth. I suppose he's almost the nearest equivalent on the comedy circuit to a YouTuber. You know, you'll be, you'll be uh, touring and you're at your venue. There will be a sign for someone you've never met and it'll say sold out, sold out, sold out, multiple dates added, sold out. Someone you've never heard of. And you're like, oh, who? Oh, they're internet famous. It's like a whole other thing. Except Paul has managed to bring together that level of success with the actual chops to be able to really smash a room. Now, we're going to get lots more perspective on what that feels like in just a second. Uh, a quick reminder at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders, you will find over 30 minutes of extras, Paul's advice for comics aiming to follow in his footsteps and some other reflections on his early TV work and exactly why a particular TV competition, a subject often very dear to my heart, um, has uh, why it affected him the way it did. And remember, at the Edinburgh Festival this year, you cannot see Paul Smith because he will be at home gigging and spending time with his family and not worrying about Edinburgh. But you certainly can see me, who will be away from my family and hopefully not worrying about Edinburgh, but performing Primer every day at 3pm at the Monkey Barrel on Blair Street. I very much hope you'll come along. Uh, we're starting to shift some tickets now, and that's very exciting. This is a sort of halfway house between the free fringe and the paid. You can just take a risk and turn up for free if you would like, or if you're desperate to make sure that you get in, you can book a ticket online for a fiver, I think, 5.50, something like that. So uh, please Please find out all about that at comedianscomedian.com or by going to edfringe.com or any of the numerous other places available online. I hope to see you there. That's it for now. There's going to be a very brief postamble at the end of this episode where I try to resist spoiling a little secret thing I'm doing. Uh, but for now, let's get back to Paul Smith. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I noticed on the uh, in the first section of the uh, the arena show, you uh, gave your support act, Callum. Callum, yeah. Callum, what was his name? Sorry, Oakley. Okay, Callum Oakley. You gave him the 
the best and most supportive introduction of a support act <laughs> any arena tour support has ever had. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you were, you, you still had that that quality whereby you are to your bones an MC. Yeah, and I don't mean that in any disparaging way at yeah. all. Like, you know, you're that that quality, that affable quality you have. The fact of all the crowd work, the fact that you are aware of and exploit and leverage this group atmosphere, the amount you bigged him up and he's been mate and we've been hanging out and yeah. this is the guy makes some noise. Do you know what I mean? It was like yeah. seeing a club MC bring their support act on <laughs> yeah. as opposed to seeing yeah. a star bring their support yeah. act on. Do you think there's um do you think there's like a, a disparity between you becoming a star? and your kind of your guts as a host um i don't I, possibly i don't know i haven't crossed that bridge yet maybe um i i, I think i i don't see myself as a star yet so i don't i think i think i still see myself as the host and, and it, Nine thousand tickets. <laughs> yeah. Mean, yeah. yeah, like you're gonna pretty soon. You're gonna have to start <laughs> seeing yourself as a star. I mean, you, you like the amount of little moments during the show where, like, I think the first joke technically was um, that you talked about the fact you came here on the bus. Yeah, Do you, mean, you, you are, it's really interesting because at the moment you can occupy that position of. I'm at playing the Echo Arena and I've got yoghurt on my fucking jeans. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, like we Which get I genuinely did have. I believe you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you're the schlubby guy who yeah. has fallen into enormous yeah. thing. And that's part of what we're championing. That's part of what the the crowd are like, you're one of us. Yeah. You're as crap as we are. Do you know what I mean? Like, and you're doing this. You're kind of leading us. Yeah, that, um, that's something I've... Uh, some, this, I'm working on this year's show and... Obviously, there's financial com uh, financial bonuses to doing a tour that big, um, and th it does change your life. It's it's it is life changing, uh, and I'm trying to reconcile that because I find now like one of the, there's as an MC you have little go tos. And what I say is never the same, and I try not to use stock or anything like that. But I will. Your brain has patterns, your brain has pathways, and if someone says something similar, you'll tend to say something similar back, and you'll you'll end up going a different way in the end. But like, there's, there'll be similarities to what you say. And one of the lines is that if someone, like again, the game of one upman, the game of one upmanship, uh, if someone is looks very well to do in a working class room, that ex you ex you're expected to take the piss out of them a little bit, and I would do that. But now, like this. I do that and then I walk outside and get in a brand new Merc and <laughs> I'm feeling a bit like a fraud. Like, yeah. like, I feel, like I've got a, a bit, I've got bits about like, I used to pick on people about having four bedroom houses and stuff like that. And, yeah. and now I'm like, ah, just about to buy a four bedroom house. It's like, is, how is that going to, that, that does worry me how that's going to affect it. Because I think that must have an effect on a lot of people who, who get to that level. It's like, what, you do you you lose what made you good in the first place and i'm trying not to do that but i think there are examples of people who've successfully bridged that gap the one i think of immediately is mickey flanagan oh definitely who, like yeah. the beginning one of the like the beginning of one of the routines on his second tour by which time he was he'd been doing the out out tour yeah. for a couple of years and was enormous yeah and he did a routine about staying in a hotel and i remember the beginning of the routine is he goes so i was staying in a hotel it's a nice hotel you should work a bit harder. Do you know what I mean? Like he found a way yeah, yeah. to still occupy his yeah. character whilst dealing with yeah. the obvious 
I think it, of yeah, it's just I think it's just about staying honest. If you stay honest and just if you try and act like you're not, if you try and act like you're not doing well or like you're not enjoying doing well or you're not happy about it, then then you're gonna you're gonna come across as disingenuous. I think, and I think they're not asked if you live in a council estate or you don't live in a council estate. They know where you're from. They want you to like. You're never going to lose that kind of aspect of your personality. You're never going to lose. I wouldn't. I would never call myself working class anyway because I, I, I'm in the arts. I work twenty minutes a night. Do you know what I mean? Or, or something like that. I wouldn't. I don't work down a mine or anything. Do you know what I mean? So like, I would never. I I've got working class roots and I'm from a working class area, but like, I, I think I'm just me and I'm just as long as I'm just stay honest and and I can I go on stage and don't try and defraud the audience. Um, but that 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 I, I kind of I've I've gone down natural pathways in my head and gone okay well I can't really say that anymore because that's not that's not right and then I found myself going okay well now no, I have to talk about something else and particularly when you're when the pathways are often to do with crowd work certainly yeah. in the videos which I assume you're planning to continue oh definitely doing. yeah. Um, and that's, that's something we actually we haven't really covered. For those of you that don't know, part of the uh, the launch of you, you know, part of the big launch of you turning in turning from uh, a local hero club comic into an enormous success is that you started putting videos online uh, of your of crowd work. Yeah. And now a lot of people are doing that now. I think yeah. you were one of the first people in the UK that did that and. And it took off to a sort of an, an incredible yeah. extent. Um, and of course, because you're the relevant factors there, I guess, being that you can do that every night of your life because you're improvising every night. You're not burning any material. You yeah. don't need to write stuff for them. But that has, I mean, one of the, I think the first I heard of you was my friend Herbie telling me, oh, have, you, have you heard of this guy, Paul Smith? I was like, I don't think so. Is he, uh, is he in Liverpool? And, uh, and Herbie said, yeah, my son is 14 and we live in Bridport and he's swapping Paul Smith videos on WhatsApp <laughs> with his mates in the playground. And I was like, I think I should probably find out who this guy is. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Crazy. Um, the, the crowd work stuff, yeah. I mean, I can't, a lot of people give me more credit than I deserve for this because I, I, if I'm totally honest, was against the idea of putting videos online. I love it. Um, I didn't think it would, I didn't think it was a good idea at all. I thought it was a terrible idea um, because no acts are going to want you to burn the material and also, like, no one wants to listen to me ramble on about nonsense. And it turns out everyone wants to listen to you ramble on about nonsense. Completely incorrect, and I lost a £5 bet over that. (laughs) Was it Paul or Binti or both? It was Paul. Paul had the idea for the videos um, and he kind of, he was jokingly saying, because he joked to me a few times saying, do you not want to get out there and travel around the country? You're very good. Why don't you want to go? And, and I was like, I'm just happy where I am. I'm happy. And he was like, I'm going to make you famous. And I was like, not are you? And he was like, I am watching. And we had a five pound bet one night when we were on a night out, um, which I owed him a five or four, which I did give him. Um, so yeah, I, I can't say, I, I feel uncomfortable taking a lot of credit for that. As well, I think I touched a little bit, well, I touched very lucky because I... Although I am very good at what I do, I think a lot of a lot of it is about. <laughs> Freddie Quinn said this to me, not not in in general to me, but he said he said you don't have to be the best at something; you just have to be. You have to have enough skill, and at the time you get the opportunity, and I think that's what happened. There was a moment there, um, 
because the first crowd video, first crowd work video that went on, um, was about say six weeks into them doing putting videos out. So there'd been a couple of material videos that had gone on. Adam Rowe had had one that had gone well. Adam Stone had had one that had gone very well. Um, we were filming on a Monday night. We had a little camera crew in. We didn't have fixed cameras at that point. So I wasn't getting any crowd work videos up because what they were doing is they were filming the, 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 the acts. Mm. And then while I was on, they were filming the audience to get cutaway shots. Okay. So in those early videos, any laughs you say, they're mine. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it wasn't until they got kind of some fixed cameras in that they were, we could film some crowd work. And the, so the first night that that happened, the first Monday night that happened, uh, I was on stage and it was between bringing one act on and another act on. And I goes out, and as I did, a guy right in the centre of the front row just gets up and walks out, just goes to the toilet. And I was thinking, ah, I can't bring this next guy in because there's, all the videos are cut up singularly. No one's watching the full show. So if this next guy comes on, I don't know how good he is with the crowd. If he comes on and he's halfway through a joke and this guy comes in and ruins one of his jokes and he's only got five minutes, that's not very fair on him. So I'm just going to carry on but you don't know how long this guy is going to be and that's difficult when you're doing crowd work if you know you've got 10 minutes you can really delve into someone but if you might have 90 seconds it's a it's a magic trick a lot of the time because a lot of people will watch a, a compare and go oh, he's very quick he's very good on his feet and stuff like that but what'll happen is really i'll go and i'll talk to someone and i'll be saying hi what's your name what do you do which is I've become a catchphrase of mine uh, and they'll say they'll say oh, I'm Jean I work in admin and I'll go oh that's lovely and I'll move on because I don't want to talk to Jean about admin do you know what I mean it's boring but I'll, and then I'll talk to someone else and the next guy he'll, he'll be a zookeeper or something and I'll, I'll get five minutes on the zookeeper yeah. and nobody will remember that I even spoke to Jean that's, that means admin. literally a magic trick that's yeah, what it's a magic trick. Do. Exactly. You, make, you make guesses and if they don't go anywhere you, you, you are, the format is such that no one remembers you guessed exactly you that. Yeah, guess. it's yeah, exactly brilliant. that um, so, but when you've got 90 seconds, you're really taking a shot in the dark because if you hit one guy, you haven't, if you hit Gene from admin, you can't move on then. You're gonna have to work with Gene. So, I got so lucky because I hit this guy and I was like, what do you do? And he was like, oh, I work with Range Rover. And his mate just kind of gave him this look as if to say, no, you don't. Yeah. And I, he did. But like, I was like, why have they just looked at you like that? Are you a drug dealer? Uh, and he was like, uh, and they laughed, and I was like, oh my god, you are, aren't you? He wasn't. Yeah, but yeah. if I say, oh my god, you are, aren't you? Yeah. Then everyone just goes, ah, he is. Do you yeah. know what I mean? So then he started, and then he had this really flash watch on, and then I said, what car do you drive? And he's like, a Range Rover, and I was like, oh my god, you definitely sell beef, which is cocaine. Um, and that just, everyone started going, and it was a little chunk. The guy came back, I got the guy on, didn't think anything of it. That goes online. And he worked at a car plant in Liverpool called, which is Jaguar Land Rover, uh, which is how he got a Range Rover. I, <laughs> uh, and it just started getting shared. It went a bit mad. They started sharing it about all over WhatsApp and stuff like that. It just gave it a little bit of a catalyst. And that was the one that sparked Everton off. And it was weird because I was away on holiday on my mum's 60th birthday. I was in Portugal as that went online. Um, and my Facebook page just shot up with likes. And I was kind of watching it going, this is mad. And then I came back and I, f I flew back, got back late and we had no milk or bread in. So I got back in and I, I took the baby to the Tesco to get some milk. And I was walking in Tesco and I was walking around, I had the baby in a trolley, just talking to him. And uh, four lads were just looking at me weirdly. And I was like, 
it was a weird sense because I was thinking like there was scallies like like the like chavy like in a tracksuits and stuff like that and I was looking at them and they were like I was thinking am I getting mugged in Tesco's here this is weird and then I noticed a couple of other people looking at me and I was like what's going on here and I'm walking up and down and then one guy stopped me and went are you the guy from that I went what I went you the guy from the from the comedy club I went, oh yeah, hello mate. And he was like, oh, and he started getting a picture of me. And then other people, and just just crowd of people just stood there getting a picture to the point where I end, I had to leave Tesco because I didn't know how to deal with it. And I was like, oh, I ended up walking up to Tesco without bread and milk. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know how to, what to do about it. And it was just, it was just chaos. It was just mad. So I got really lucky with that because I think what happened was, is that I might say something now that, Anyway, I'll say it. Uh, I think a lot as TV stand-up, although there's very, very good stand-ups on TV, I don't want to disparage anyone who's on TV who does stand-up. Uh, I think television has such control over it that it's become a very safe... Uh, it, it doesn't have much risk involved to it. Um, and not that what I do is very risque or anything like that, but I think there's a kind of raw element to it where it's like anything can happen. And I don't think everyone realises that every live comedy club has a compare which does that, and a lot of live comedians do that as well, which is how I've been <laughs> Like, it, it's, it's weird that now people think higher mate, which is what the, the, the title of my show last year was higher mate, because I just thought it was funny that people think that that is, I've made that up. Yeah. Like saying hello and saying hiya, what do you do? Like now to the point where when other people say it, they're like, Paul, he's just doing Paul's. This is, mate, I, I have long thought, a long, you know, the last couple of years whilst it's been going off. When, when you said a minute ago, like, um, so I said, what's your name, where you're from, which yeah. has become a catchphrase of mine. Yeah. I can sit five years from now. Compares up and down the country are going to go, what's your name, where you're from? And people are going to go, you've nicked that off. Yeah, screen. definitely. It's already happened. It's mad. It's already happened. It's happened, yeah, yeah. People people say it. Like, it's... it's. How do you feel about that? I you're, feel you're basically being bad about that. With <laughs> inventing compares. Yeah, I feel bad about it. It's like it's like the story of a, the guy who... Um, I remember he told me. I think it was a, I think it was Brennan Reese was doing a panto. And he came, he was doing this panto and he walked out and he said, hey, give me a cheer for this. And he came off stage and some old guy in the panto was like, I made that up. <laughs> and I was like, and he was like, what? No, you never, no one made that up. But Im- I imagine that was the guy who did. Yeah, like, yeah. And everyone's just like doing that. Like, yeah. I'm, if, if, just to get this clarified, I did not make up saying what you do and where you're from. That's a standard compare and trope. Um, and I think, the thing is though, I haven't stopped doing it because, some some compares won't do that now, and I think I feel that's the thing I most feel bad about is so, some compares will change completely because they don't want to be seen as being hacky or something like that, and maybe it'll become that'll just become hack to do that. Uh, saying hi, yeah, hello, and what you doing, where you from, and stuff like that, it's which absurd. is sad because yeah. they're there, they're there for a reason. Do you owe it to the comedy industry to do a big, famous, viral bit of material in which you explain that you didn't invent that? <laughs> maybe. Is that a way maybe. of clawing it back? Yeah, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> I, yeah, that, I'll pledge that. I'll pledge to do that. In, uh, I will try my best to do a, to do a disclaimer on those, on those bits. <laughs> Um, a disclaimer tour. <laughs> it wasn't me. Too, yeah, um, it, yeah I, I do feel bad about that because it's just there's such open-ended questions because although those questions are the same questions every time the thing about if you watch I, I, I think 
and I might be wrong on this, so one of one of your lovely listeners, if you want to correct me, feel free to do so. But I think that I must have the most original com- content, stand-up comedy content, live on stage of any human being on the planet. Oh, the most, the biggest volume. I think of. I've got because I've got. I think I, I think I've got over a hundred hours of stuff online. A hundred hours. Yeah. Because it's all crap. All, all crap. You mean? Well, there's about okay, four hours of material. Shows. Sure. And the rest of it but is. You out of anyone in the world, I think probably there is more video evidence of you saying different things to people, yeah. chatting to people in the audience. There's more. Of it, there's more. Yeah. But as as most people are concerned, how many clips have you got? Up? Then is that are we talking like thousands. a thousand clips? Yeah, it must be, yeah. Must be on YouTube. So the the means of production there, the idea of like is that is it repeatable that for someone else? Could someone else be the Paul Smith of New York? I, I, I can't see why not. Because because be. what you need what are the elements in play? You need a club with fixed point cameras and you need someone who tapes you need a regular gig. So you do a couple of shows a night, you host, yeah. someone tapes all of it, someone cuts all of it, gets the best bits, puts them online. Yeah. Like is, and they need to not be compared to me. And they need to not be compared to you, which to be fair, I don't know how massive you are in the States. So, I'm not, I'm not, you know, no. like you, you could easily get swept, you could get, you could get left behind because someone, someone oh, in that's an, I think that's a thing an, I think do. that's inevitable. I think it's inevitable and I'm comfortable with that. I think it's totally fine that that happens. I think that's just the nature of it. I think I'm a, I'm, I'm a starting point. I don't feel like I'm the finishing point of this. I feel like it's such a massive, it was such a burgeoning thing that I can't be, it'd be ridiculous if I was like, I was where it stopped. Like that's just, it's, it's nonsense to think that. Is it the end of comedy? <laughs> you know what I mean? If, like, oh God, that would be the worst thing ever. I'd ra- I'd ra- it's starting I'd rather, to feel like I'd an episode of Quantum Leap. I'd rather be surpassed than be the end of comedy. <laughs> Who ended comedy? It was Paul Smith saying, I hey, you mate, what you do to everyone. It's terrible. Because the, if, like there's no reason why, like there are obviously people doing similar stuff. I mean, here at Hot Water, there are other people trying yeah. to catch that slipstream. There are better people than me. <laughs> <laughs> there are technically better people. Danny McLaughlin is a phenomenal, uh, I own, Danny McLaughlin, I watched Danny McLaughlin on stage and just, I, I'm in awe at how he's He hosted two shows last night he's, and I, I he was is, crying with laughter. Honest to God, I, the pinnacle, him, Dan Nightingale, Mick Ferry, there are countless comedian uh, MCs who I, I think are technically better than me. But I, yeah, I don't understand what it is. That is, do you think it's do you think it's solely the fact that you kicked it off and the technology's there and that that machinery is happening around you, or do you think that an element like could that have happened with the same machinery? Could that have happened to any of those other acts or any other company? Well, I don't or is know. there something special about? your connection to an audience or what you do differently? I, well, I don't, in exactly the same way as, <laughs> there, there are massive comedians out there who aren't necessarily the best comedians. Like, I think there's, uh, a lot of the people who watch me, a lot of people, the mass populace aren't, the the entry level comedy fans. They're just people who want to have a laugh. That's a really good point. Do you know your what I mean? audience don't know 
that other people do crowd work. No, well, they, they, they might do, but they, when, when my audience watches Danny McLaughlin, it's yeah. not the same as me watching Danny McLaughlin. No, because sure. I've watched 12 years of stand-up. I've yeah. watched, I, I watch stand-up every single night. So for him to surprise, for someone to surprise me is more difficult than someone to surprise someone who's of course. never been to a of comedy course. club. There are textural things he does. It's too much for them. It's too subtle. If any, and me, I, I mean, I'm not not saying it. No, 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 I understand. Like, sorry, yeah, yeah. Mate, possibly it's too sort of. I'm, I'm, I'm very broad and very easy to kind of get on board with. Um, it's you, you could come in and never have seen stand up before and and get me. I'm not saying that Danny can't do that because he can, but like, but there is something totally different in the way that you you're the entry level. You're the you know you're the you're the mouth of the funnel, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so. I think, uh, but. Hopefully, I do you know what I really hope is that people will become more savvy with crowd work. And I, I mean, there's only so many things I can say, and it's going to be, it's going to get to the point where, I mean, in that, in, in, that, <laughs> in that hundred hours, obviously, it never ends the same way because you're talking to a different person. But I, as I said, there's pathways there where it'll be, there'll be I, even I notice I'm saying something similar, and like there's a little bit of a deja vu moment. Um, can I make a prediction? Within the next five years, someone is going to catalogue all of your clips online and release albums of Paul Smith on guys that work at the zoo. <laughs> yeah. and it's going to be an hour of you talking to twenty different Just people. Every at single the zoo. animal. <laughs> yeah, as long as I don't start asking people what the favourite stuff is. Which I Do you you um? There is a moment. What did I see? It's not in the it's not in the tour. It was just in one of your clips. There was a, a moment where you talked to someone and you used a stocky thing. You used a, a blink three times if you're in trouble. Oh yeah. I do you, do I you do need that. to watch out for burning stock that doesn't yeah. belong to you? I I, I, will, I will hold my hands up wholeheartedly, and I, I I really have a problem with myself doing that. No, it doesn't happen very often. Um, I did it. I think I did it once in the arena show as well. There's something in there that I went and watched it back. I was like, oh, you fraud. Um, there's something I keep saying. There's things I, I pick up affectations from people and yeah. and then I'll say them. And it's not necessarily jokes and it's not even necessarily from other comedians. It's just I'm picking affectations up and I'll go on stage and say them. I go, what are you doing? Why are you talking like that? And um, so because... Because of the nature of it, in the moment, and I've noticed that the worst thing is I've noticed that I've noticed a lot of people doing it from things that I say. Is um, I think because you're in the moment and you, and you're just reacting to what someone's saying. By the time you've said it, you go, ah, shouldn't have said that. That's I should have said something else. And I, I, I am, I am, I do try my best to be careful. But I mean, I'm not going to try and sit here and say that I'd never. I've never said a stock line in a video because I definitely have. I definitely 100% have. One of the one of the joys of you and what's happened to you and what's ha- what's continuing to happen to you is that this it, it feels like there's something archetypal. There's something almost kind of um I don't mean fairy tale, but there's something kind of mythic almost about how much you don't really care about success, <laughs> given, given how incredibly successful you've become. Like you, you know, seeing as this 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 process began with you wanting to have a local club so that yeah. you could always get home and you never needed to do the road miles. You yeah. you have dreamt up and made reality most comedians' perfect idea of what they're 
that career are, is, yeah. right? Like you haven't had to do the road miles that a lot of other yeah. acts do. Um, not by not by accident, by design. You 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 went. This is the this is how I'd like to do it. And actually, I think that's very brave in a, in a way because one of the mistakes I think not even necessarily a mistake. Something that happens to a lot of comedians, I think, is that we're initially supernaturally brave to start. Mm. I'm going to be different. I'm going to do stand up, and then as soon as we do it, we forget that bravery and immediately start trying to do the same thing as all the other comedians yeah. to try and feel secure again, to try yeah. and feel comfortable. And you didn't do that. You went, I'm not going to do the road miles. I'm not going to do Edinburgh. I'm going to do it my way. Admittedly, your way was safe, comfortable, close to home. But you created an environment in which to fail and take risks. And that's, you know. So I'm not quite even sure what the question is. But do you see what I mean? That there is so, like, it seems appropriate in a kind of movie way that <laughs> oh, the guy who genuinely nice couldn't give two shits about ambition and career in the industry. Is that is that fair? I mean, that's how you yeah, come across. Definitely, yeah. Like, if it all ended tomorrow, you'd do something else, right, you know? Um, I don't think I'd do something... I mean, I, I think... I, I, <laughs> Maybe long, you no longer need to do as something. <laughs> as long as this club didn't go away. That's the only thing I really, like... It, it, I mean, don't get me wrong, I enjoy doing it all, and I'm happy that I can do another one. That It's lovely being able to do that, um, as a little taster of travelling around and stuff like that. But if the club went... I, I, I think that caused me a big problem. I think I'd be, I'd, I'd struggle to continue doing stand-up. I think. But you are in a position now where the club can't ever go away. If this club goes away, you've yeah. got a following forever now, right? You're you're so famous that you could do, you you could do nothing for twenty years and come back and everyone would be like, it's that guy, right? <laughs> oh, well, I don't know about that. It's, it's I think. It's, I think the nature of celebrity has changed massively and I think it's so fleeting I, now. I don't disagree, but a thousand, what is it? Like a, clips, a hundred a thousand, hours, you know. Yeah, yeah but it's whether those thousand hours are washed though, they get lost in the sea of a billion hours of other people doing stand-up yeah, online. Yeah, maybe, maybe. It's, it's a big sea. It's a big sea. It's not five channels anymore. It's a big... It's There's a lot. There's a lot to... There's a lot to take in. And there's other people doing similar stuff. Um... I just, I mean, to say that, like, to go back to something you said earlier about, like, do you think there could ever be, like, an American Paul Smith? I mean, th there was American Pulse, like, people who did what I've done in America much more successfully than me before. I, I know Sugar Sammy. I interviewed Sugar Sammy David, in Montreal. Is it David Tell? David Tell, yeah. David Tell did a lot. I mean, a lot Top of his Barry's stuff. done his crowd work yeah, tour. Yeah. It's been on Netflix. So, but I mean, it's not, they're not quite doing it like you did it. They're not, they're not taping every single thing they do, choosing the best stuff and yeah. putting it out there. I don't know. I'm not aware of anyone doing that in the States. Maybe no, if you're listening in America and you know someone doing that. And if you are. Uh, or if you would like yeah, to bagsy that territory and, and, and yeah, get on and it and start do it. doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe not. I, 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 do you know what? The weird thing is as well, I don't pay too much attention to it. Like, Well, that's, that's one of the qualities, I think, that is, it's got to be wrapped up in why we like you as an audience. You look like you don't really care. You look, <laughs> do you know what I mean? You look like you care about us, us, yeah. the audience, the people in the room. You look like you value us more than you value being famous, being a celebrity, being rich. Think, and we can, that yeah. comes off you. It comes off you I in ways. You know? yeah. I think. And that, that is something that most eager, hungry, passionate, driven, ambitious comics can't fake. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I don't, yeah. I've, I've only just realised I think that. Yep, I think that. <laughs> we see people at Live at the Apollo and one of the things we know about them is they really want to fucking be there. Yeah. And um, I'm not saying you don't 
want to be there, but yeah, don't want you, it, it, doesn't matter, <laughs> it doesn't matter what you want. It, you know, if you could be here for the rest of your life doing hot water to 100, 150 people every night. Oh, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's much better. It's the best place for it. Like, it, it really <laughs> is. So cool. it's, like, it's it's the it's like it's the most joyous experience. It's the best place to do it, and just I get I the I think. The, the best thing the thing I enjoy most about those videos I don't go on Facebook anymore and I don't go on Twitter um, I don't really have any like Paul does most of the running of the Facebook page and stuff like that he uploads all the videos and he takes because it's marketing and he takes care of all that he's a, a gem and a genius and all of his pieces um, the, the only real interaction I have with that kind of side of things is people messaging say like oh I've been going through a hard time and your videos made Either easier or like <laughs> made it worse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My wife left me, <laughs> um, and I, I I get a lot from that. I like I think I think that's how I kind of I got I got a bit of a um, I did have ups and downs. I got a bit of a I came off Facebook and stuff like that because of the comments and things. Um, most ninety nine percent of which are, are positive, but then there's a few who are like, "Oh, this is bad. Like, he's not as good as this guy." Or, 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 just personal insults, basically. And I, I'm I'm a bit too sensitive for that, <laughs> so I was like, I came away from that kind of stuff. I take those kind of things a little bit badly, so I kind of step back from that kind of thing. Uh, and then I got after last year's after the arena show, I got a bit of a bad. I felt like it went well and I really enjoyed the show and I felt like I had an I felt like the show was good. I felt like it was it was I felt like I'd done a good job writing it. I felt like I had I'd done a good job because my remit for the show was to take all these new comedy fans that we had created and keep make sure that they got the money's worth and really give them what they ex I try my best to give them what they expected whilst still doing a good show because I think what a lot of people wanted was obviously the crowd work so that had to be in there but what they don't realize is is that you can't do that for an hour because it's repetitive within an hour they don't realize that because they watch it for hours mm. but i can't get to that many people even in a theater there's not that many people for me to engage with and there's not going to be that many interesting people for me to engage with so i have to have material to fall back on can you imagine doing like maybe not in a room that size maybe in a 500 seater could you do an hour and a half of crowd work. Um, I could probably do an hour and a half of crowd work. Yes, uh, in a five hundred seater, I think that's about the four four hundred seater, probably up the limit four five hundred seater. But it's a gamble to do it. I could do it, but could I couldn't do it every night in here. I could do it every night. Probably I could do an hour of crowd work in there every night, and it'd be fine. It'd be up and down in quality. It wouldn't be. Every night wouldn't be amazing, but it'd be good. Um, but and do you it, think is that is that attractive to you? If you think to yourself, you no, know, you've written five hours on the bounce. No, I like can, doing. I like because you're not. If you just if you're just doing crowd work, you're not, there's a catharsis in getting your own life out there on stage as well. And I do like to do that. Um, I like to talk about what's happening in my life, and so I will do that every year. Um, which is why I always write, wrote a show and and kind of. Just made sure I did. I, I turn over at least ninety minutes of material a year, even even though I don't really need to. Like 
I, I could have re- I could have just sat back and I could still be doing the same 20 that I was doing without those videos obviously if the videos hadn't have happened I could still be doing the same 20 I was doing 10 years ago and do you where are you turning over that material in the club here in the club yeah doing sets or whilst I do sets here once a month and um, but yeah I'd, I'd normally just throw it in whilst sometimes whilst I'm emceeing and just make sure it doesn't go online um, yeah I, 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 again people think they want that but I think there's just I think the real trick is to find a way to make the stuff feel like it's a conversation so a conversation's never going to be that one side the conversation is never going to be if I'm doing crowd work I'm obviously speaking to you and I'm finding out about you and then we're talking about you but for it to be a real conversation I've also got to talk about me I've got to reveal things about me and they want that they want to reveal they want me to talk about myself as well so and then go back to them and then come back to me and go back to them so that's what I tried to do at last year's show I tried to make it feel like it was all naturally happening um, whilst also getting that material in and, and kind of making it feel like I was getting something off my chest which I was, I was getting something off my chest Is it easier to write when you're in front of a room full of people who are all here for you? Like presumably every gig you do now at Hot Water a lot of the people are here for you so yeah, when yeah. you're trying a bit in the middle of the middle section before you bring on the middle act if you're trying a bit of material like I always find when, I'm, when a crowd are behind me I make much better connections I improve Definitely. the stuff I'm working on you're presumably in a situation now where every room you play, almost everyone in there knows you, loves you, is excited about you. Is um, that a good, you know, is that a noticeably different creative environment? It it, it definitely is. There's an element of um, I don't want to say sycophancy, but I, it's there's definitely there's a leniency to the audience where they'll, they 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 believe in you more, so they will let you get away with more. Um, but in in the same vein, if you're not doing what they expect you to do. Which is the crowd work. There's a sort of hunger for it. There's a hunger for that. There's a hunger for why hasn't he spoke to me, even though I was in the tier of an 1800-seater. Which I got repeated complaints about last year. Complaints? That you didn't speak to people? That He didn't talk to John. It was John's birthday. Where was John sat? Oh, he was in the upper tier of the Opera House in Manchester. Oh, well, I, I didn't know John was there. I, I, well, I messaged your page. Well, I'm sorry, but like... Because what a lot of people don't realise, when I first, when it first, because when people used to come here, they'd message and say, oh, could you talk to, it's John Stagdu, could you say hello to John? And I'll do that, I'll appease it, because why not, do you know what I mean? It's fine. It's not my favourite thing to do, but I'll do it. But now, since, once the video started taking off a little bit, um, in those days, shows everyone was like, oh, it's such and such's birthday, can you say hello? And what they don't realise is, is it's really difficult to do. It's the same way, a reason I don't speak to anyone I've spoken to before. If people, because some people come back week on week and they'll sit in the same place and I will never speak to them again. Just simply because there's a, it's not genuine. It's not a genuine interaction unless you spend too much time explaining the previous interactions that you've already had. And as in the same way as if if you know if you have prior knowledge of John or whoever stag do it is or whoever's birthday it is, which they sometimes send you across, you can't go out there and be like, Oh, is there a John in? Because and 
he's going to go, yeah, sometimes he won't even say yeah, and then it's just a weird moment. But then if he does say yeah, <laughs> you're going to go, oh, it's John's birthday, everyone. And then all that happens is everyone in the room has got a birthday. He goes, it's my birthday as well. Yeah, and then yeah. it's just chaos. It just turns into absolute chaos. And I think any any comedian who's gigged for any amount of time, who's doing any kind of crowd work in a weekend comedy club understands these things. You just can't. You can't allow it. What they think they want is not what they want. They want, they, they just, as long as the night's good, you can kind of get away with them going, oh, well, he didn't really speak to me, but it was fine. Most people, are, 99% of people are all right with that, but then there's some people who can't kind of understand that that's not about that. <laughs> Finally then, how can unhappy comedians become <laughs> as happy as you? <laughs> Stop caring. <laughs> no, I don't know. I mean... Because people do still care. They want to survive. I, I, yeah, you know? I only say that jokingly. I care, and obviously, I I care enough that I want to make. I don't want to have to work in an office, so like I care enough in that the fact that I want to do well enough in my gigs that I still get paid to do my gigs. Um, and it's easy for me to say that now that I'm in a position of such a, a, quite a secure position. But I I think just look at your motivation of why you're doing what you're doing. And if you just if if comedy is a stepping stone, then maybe have a little rethink about that. If if you just if you've been doing it for twenty years and you're not happy with it, maybe have a maybe there's something you would be good at. I don't know. It's just I, I, yeah. There's no, I don't think there's any good. Answer. I don't think I'm the wise man in the world to 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 give the answer to that question. But again, as well, happiness is such an extreme emotion. Um, if you enjoy doing stand-up regardless of what level you're at then keep doing it and be happy with what you're doing don't look at I think the main thing would be as well don't look at what other people are doing and measure yourself by that I know that's kind of, kind of a have you ever done thing. that? have you been able oh, to? oh yeah definitely I've been guilty of that but I, 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 I was lucky enough to get out of that pretty quickly Um. I think because I started so, because I started so well, I was kind of ahead of the game, and then obviously other people who started after me are much more successful than I am. So like you just go, okay, well that's that's fine, it's fine. I think it's real. A lot of people think that there's not if if someone else does well, they can't do well, and it's, there's an especially with the way social media works now and the way you can put your content out, everyone can do well, like. Well, not maybe not everyone, but <laughs> anyone who's like who is funny can do well. If you're funny enough, you can do well. It's just is it is it there is a meritocracy to it now. So that was Paul. Thank you once again to Paul for coming along and talking to me. What a joy. Thank you to uh, Binti and Paul at Hotwater Comedy Club in Liverpool, which remains uh, a phenomenal success. I nearly called it Titanic then. You should never call something a Titanic success. But um, it, it's just so much fun to play. And it is a thrill to watch Paul in that tiny environment. It just feels so explosive. And I think it's the sort of thing that comedy itself will look back on in years to come and go, oh, that was the beginning of that. Who knows what will happen next? How exciting. Thank you to Nathan Wood for producing the show. Uh, Jake Crossland for logging. Rob Smouten for the music. Pete Dobbing is the podcast consultant as ever. And uh, I will now try not to give away too many details, but episode 300 is coming up. And if you're a member 
of the Comedians Comedian podcast Facebook group, you will know that I have made a rash promise. Uh, I, I am going to be the guest myself on episode 300. So I invite via that Facebook group your questions. I am going to be interviewed by a variety of comedians uh, who are fans of the pod and uh, fans of my work in an attempt to recreate as faithfully as possible the concom pod experience i have asked them to try and work out what i'm worried about and then really pin me on it and make me wriggle uh, we did the first one last night with massive secret celebrity guest and uh, a joy it was even that one uh, I could just release the whole thing off. We did about an hour and a half, but it was fantastic. I got the real experience. But I am going to keep quiet about the secret involvement of various people. And um, we're, I'm, I'm recording a bunch of them this week. And then we may need to take a, an additional week off after episode 299 so that we can get the edit done because it will be sprawling and complex. But um, also, I think if you're in the Insiders Club, then I'll probably just release all of the, the rushes, if you like. I'll just release the whole unexpurgated lot unless it's too you know unless we sort of end up going around the same topics but really excited about that no post amble today i've got a big resilience thing tonight that i've got to go and work on and uh, also if there was a post amble it would be about how freelance life means that you consider yourself free and then you go to a fabulous wedding tom parry from uh, you'll know from pappies as well as uh, very many other funny things besides uh, got married to his lovely wife jane and it was glorious and we took the family and we all had a wonderful time and then i come back on a monday morning to an absolute shitstorm of things needing done that i have not done any of so apologies no post amble and um, but maybe you can just reflect on one you can write write your own post amble for this just get really stressed, have too much to do, and then add some extra things to do. That's all for now. Uh, next week, next week, who have we got? Nick Revel is in the can. Simon Brodkin is in the can. Oh, both, both fascinating and very interesting uh, interviews. And I've also got two superb uh, American comics coming up this week, which, you know, I won't name because I don't want to uh, risk it going pop. But one of them I've been trying to get for about seven years. So there we go. All the Insiders material at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders. And I will speak to you next week. Bye for now. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.